0: You know, I'm the one that gets to stand up here and talk to you and preach to you tonight, but uh, the bottom line is really it's the bus workers that, many of them that work tonight to get them here, the swaggers, the EBS, and others that helped get them here tonight, let alone every Sunday, every time they go out on visitation. We really appreciate the work they do. What we said there at the end of the video wasn't just words. We're really thankful for what they do, for the way they help this be a ministry, be an outreach be a mission field for boys and girls to be able to hear the gospel. You know, being a children's pastor, behavior, obedience, very often disobedience, is one of the things you deal with on a weekly basis. And, and trying to find that proper balance of being in charge, but not being so harsh that you turn a child off to what you're getting ready to tell them from God's word to where they shut down and won't listen to what you say. We want them to listen, we want them to obey God's word, but we also have to be careful how we do that. It reminded me of an article that I read some time ago about Roger Staubach, who was a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys years ago. And Roger Staubach led the Cowboys to their first football championship in the year 1971, then a second championship in 1977. However, he admitted his position as quarterback. He didn't feel comfortable with the fact that he didn't get to call any of the plays. His coach was the famous, the infamous Tom Landry. He called every play. He called when it was a run, when it was a pass. There was really hardly any circumstance for Roger to call his own play. In only emergency situations could he do it. And Landry, with a pointed finger in his face, said, you better be right if you change my call. That's the kind of coach he was. And Roger Saubeck admitted that his arrogance, his pride, was something he dealt with through those seasons when he was learning to play under that leadership. He later wrote this, he said, obedience is something I had to deal with. And when I finally realized and settled that issue of obedience, I learned to listen to Coach Landry, and there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. And boy, that's, that's a good lesson that he learned. It's a good lesson for us. But there's a man in the Bible who really struggled with this thing called obedience. In fact, by the end of the book, I'm not sure if he ever really came to the place where he truly embraced and understood what God was trying to do, his purpose, his plan. And I'm talking, of course, about the prophet Jonah. In fact, I've entitled this message, Reluctant Obedience. Reluctant Obedience. And we'll see it here in the life of Jonah. Jonah. And being a children's pastor, I get the unique privilege of being able to preach these great stories of the Bible. This is just one more. I've tried to make this an adult lesson, but it is about the book of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. As I'm sure you're aware, the Bible, when it was originally written on scrolls and parchment, there were no chapters, there were no verses. There were no dividers in the book of the Bible. It was just written by holy men of God as God spoke to them to write it. That's the way it was written down. With that in mind, I'd like us to read the last three verses of chapter 1 of Jonah and the first verse of chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. As soon as you find your place will begin, Jonah's one of those kind of scrunched in the middle there, small book, hard to find. Jonah chapter 1, starting with verse number 15. The Bible says this, So they took up Jonah and cast him into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days, in three nights. Look what verse 1 says of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Do you realize what this is telling us ladies and gentlemen is that Jonah spent three days in the fish's belly before he prayed to his God. That's an amazing fact to me. That is an astounding fact to me. Because I think I would have been praying before I hit the water. I don't know about you. But a bunch of men pick me up to throw me in the water when I don't know what's out there. I think I would already be praying. But we're going to learn some characteristics or some elements, I guess you would say, of reluctant obedience, of why Jonah did what he did do and why he didn't do what God told him to do initially. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into this tonight. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're just so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth of it. We're thankful that it is a applicable, Lord, to men and women, boys and girls, people of all ages and of all races. And, Lord, we just ask that you would take your word and use it tonight. Don't use me, but use your word to speak to the hearts of people. Lord, just take me out of the way and do your work through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But here in this book of Jonah, it doesn't take but a casual reading to realize that Jonah he was asked to do something, and he really did not want to do it. It was reluctant obedience. And as we read there, three days, he's in the belly of the fish before he prayed to his God. But tonight, we're, like I said, we're going to look at four elements of why this happened. The first thing I want us to see is that Jonah, Jonah's delayed prayer, his delayed prayer. Number one, when, when we're out of fellowship with God or not close to Him as we should be, prayer becomes very difficult. Did you know that? Very difficult. Sometimes it's nearly impossible to just break down and open up to God in prayer. We begin to depend on our own strength, our own knowledge, our own know-how to get us through life, and even the difficult situations that we should be seeking God's help, let alone the simple things that he was willing to help us with we never stop and pray we ask God and ask God for his guidance we know deep down in that's what we should be doing that's what we should do but we put it off instead of going to Him in prayer we delay in prayer we put it off we try to handle it ourselves in our own strength that's exactly where we find Jonah in this story in this part of his life we don't know much about before we don't know much after, but in this part of his life, we know that he was far from God in his heart. He was allowing his pride, his stubbornness to rule him. Jonah in his, was in a dangerous place with God, and I'm not talking about in the belly of a fish. He was in a dangerous place with God. He had delayed in his prayer, and he had forsook this precious promise from Psalms 145:18: The Lord is nigh unto them that call upon him, to all them that call upon him in truth. God was wanting nothing more than that prayer for help to come from Jonah. He wanted, to, he wanted to come sooner rather than later, but three long days he waited. Because he was waiting, he was longing for that prayer, just like he is from you and I. Jonah, no doubt, was literally miserable in the belly of that fish. For three days, not only was he physically, he was spiritually bankrupt. Can you imagine how awful that place must have been? The depth of despair that he had sunk to. Three different times, Jonah asked God if he could just die. May I just die? What a terrible place he was. You know, when I was young, we liked to go fishing, camping every summer. We did it, and we loved it. And it was one of those campsites we went to with the old metal trash cans. You know the ones with, that are chained, the lids are chained on. It's an old metal trash can like that. And my father had just filleted a bunch of fish, and you know what's left after you fillet fish. Guts and bones and heads, all that stuff was left. And he said, Scott, I want you to take this and throw it in that metal can. He said, make sure that lid gets on there good. Because there's wild animals out here, there's raccoons. We need to make sure that that stays in the can. So that's exactly what I did. I took it over there, threw the mess in there, put the can on, the lid on the can nice and tight. I never thought anything else about it. The next day, and, and people may tell you that it doesn't get hot in Ohio but it does in the summertime it gets very hot and that next day the whole day had went by that evening he asked me to take something else and throw it in the trash can like I said I never thought about it again ladies and gentlemen when I pried the lid off of that can the worst stench that I've ever smelt almost knocked me to the ground and I can't imagine three days in the belly of a whale in the horrible place that he was Jonah did not cry unto his God. He had given up. He had literally given up. You know, prayer is paramount in the life of a Christian. It should never be our last resort. It should be our first recourse. We need to seek a relationship with a God that allows us to talk to him about anything, any time, any day, or night. He longs to hear our prayers. I would like us to take the time, if if you would read with me, chapters three and four of Jonah. Now, before you get too worried, it's only 21 verses, but I'd like to read them together with you, beginning in Jonah chapter three, verse one. The Bible says this, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go into Nineveh that great city and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and he went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed to fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came, the came the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. And he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in, his, in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from this fierce anger that we perish not. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Verse number four, or chapter number four, verse one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray you, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head, to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm, when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did rise, that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted, and wished himself to die. There it is again. And he said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, "I do be I do well to be angry even unto death." Then said the Lord, "Thou hast pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest thou grow, which come up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare none of the great city wherein are more than three or six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle?" We're looking this evening about the characteristics that caused jonah to do what he did the first one we looked at is the delayed prayer the next one we see it all through the chapters we just read but it is his displeasure jonah's displeasure with god's plan his displeasure with god's plan jonah was very angry the bible says in 4 chapter 4 verse 1 he was displeased exceedingly and very angry jonah wanted god to judge and destroy nineveh now it was beginning to look like something different, might be a different result. And the judgment against their sin may not come yet. And Jonah didn't want that to happen. He wanted to see God's full judgment and his full wrath poured out on Nineveh and the Ninevites. God often works and moves in different ways than we expect him to, doesn't he? Sometimes he does things we simply don't understand or reasons for why we don't understand. But he always has a reason. He always has a purpose. He never makes a mistake. I think of Lazarus when he died and was raised from the dead, but for, th- for four days, Mary and Martha and all those, they mourned and they wondered, why? Why did he have to die? He knows the Messiah. He knows the healer, the great physician, but yet he's dead. Why did he have to die? But when he was raised from the dead by Jesus, the words rang so true That Jesus said, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe. It was faith. It was faith that Jesus was building in these people. It was faith to follow him. Not to be displeased with his will, with his plan, but to have faith to follow it. Jonah was not learning that lesson very well. Jonah, though he was a prophet of God, had no right to be angry with God. And that's true of any one of us. To put our full confidence and trust in God and not second-guess his decisions, his plans should be the way we handle the plan, the will of God. God is om- omniscient. He knows. He's doing things far more in advance than in the most intellectual people of this world. He knows what he's doing, and it's our lot to follow him. In fact he says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness. And Psalms 1830 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. Just like Jonah needed to learn, you and I need to learn to trust and obey. Then let God take care of the results. Let God handle what happens from there. Because we have no control over it anyway. First, we saw Jonah's delayed prayer. Secondly, we saw Jonah's displeasure with God's plan. Thirdly, I want you to notice that Jonah, Jonah's distant observation. Jonah's distant observation it says in chapter 4, verse number 5, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. After Jonah had reluctantly obeyed God and then gotten angry with The result that he saw of the people repenting, the Bible says that he went out of the city. God had called Jonah to preach to these people in the intent that they might repent from their wickedness and be spared from his pending judgment. Jonah could have stuck around. He could have tried to be an encouragement, a help to these people. He could have taught them more about following Jehovah God and to serve him. After a person is saved, there's supposed to be a process. It's called discipleship, where a person is taught, instructed in the things of God. But Jonah preached the word God told him to preach, and he was gone as quickly as he had came. He left. Instead of staying there and being a help to those people, those poor people, Jonah just left town. Then you know what he did? He walked to what he considered to be a safe distance, and He stopped. And he waited and he watched for 40 days to see, would God destroy Nineveh? Would this city be destroyed? To be quite honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, that's sick. That's a disgusting thing to think that someone would want that to happen to these people. Jonah was hoping that maybe the Ninevites would mess up again. Maybe God would turn back from his plans and then judge them and destroy them. The heart, the hope of every Christian should be that people be spared from the wrath to come, not that they would be included in the wrath to come. This is ex- exactly what God's heart is, is it not? Does he not say in Peter 3.9, He was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Don't stand back and watch like Jonah and not get involved in being a witness or not being involved in the lives of people like he does, like God does. So we see that Jonah delayed in his prayer. Secondly, he was displeased with God's plan. Third, he was a distant observer of what was going on. He wasn't involved, really. He preached the word, and he left. Wasn't really involved in the lives of those people. But the last thing I want us to look at this evening is that Jonah's discrimination of the people... If we see in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we read it, but when we read it again, it says, And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. Discrimination, that's a word we hear a lot nowadays, banded about. Do you know what it means? It means the unjust or biased treatment of a person that is different than you based on grounds usually of race, age, or gender. That's discrimination. It's treating someone different because they're different than you. And the Bible calls it sin. We see what what God said in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. We just read them. God is saying here, Wake up, Jonah. Don't you see what I'm trying to do here? Don't you see, don't you understand the value of these people? The value of their souls. Their living, breathing souls. How do I get through to you, Jonah? How do I get you to wake up? I think back in chapter 1, the Bible talks about Jonah. It says, Awake thou sleeper. I don't think he ever woke up. To so the fact that these people needed to be saved. These people needed God's forgiveness. These people needed... God's mercy His God's love Jonah had such a dislike And a hatred for the people of Nineveh That he wanted to see them die Now I don't know all the reasons Why he felt the way he did I have a feeling they were a pretty wicked place But I know that He didn't deserve God's love and mercy Any more than they did Neither did any of us He felt like maybe he did Maybe he did deserve God's love and mercy More than they did If that's not discrimination, I don't know what is. Jonah, whether he knew it or not, was playing God in his mind, he thought he knew what was best for God to do, for God, how God to react, who to give God's mercy and forgiveness to. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi, he may have heard that name before, wrote of his days as a student at university. He said, I read the Gospels, seriously, he studied most of the major religions of the world. But he said, I read the Gospels seriously and considered converting to Christianity. He said, I believed that in the teachings of Jesus Christ, I could find the solutions to any spiritual or political problems dividing the people of India. In fact, he said, one Sunday, I decided to attend a church service a nearby, nearby the university and talk to a pastor about becoming a Christian. He said, when I entered the sanctuary, however, I was met by an usher who refused to give me a seat. And suggested that I go worship with my own kind of people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. He wrote later in his journal, If Christians treat others so differently from the outside, I will remain a Hindu. That usher's prejudice not only betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, it turned away a soul that possibly could have been saved, could have trusted Christ as Savior, But the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, no one, not Jonah, not you, not me, not any of the great heroes of the faith, deserve God's love and mercy. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. None of us deserve God's love and mercy and his forgiveness, not even Jonah, the prophet of God. It's because of God's great love that we have the opportunities to experience that mercy, that forgiveness. The song by that same name, The Love of God, was written 100 years ago by a man named Frederick Lehman. And the words, some of the lyrics are as follows. I'm gonna read them to you. It says, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled. And pardon from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. And the words are so true 100 years later, are they not? God's love is measureless, and it's strong. It's measureless, and it goes farther than it needs to go. It goes forever. It cannot be exhausted. It cannot be used up. It's strong because anyone, the most vile, even the people of Nineveh, even the people of America, Africa, whatever place you want to name, can be reconciled to God because of that great love, because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not ours to discriminate against people that need the Lord. And praise the Lord, this church isn't doing that. We're doing a lot to get the gospel around the world. Thankful for a pastor that has a vision, for a church that has a vision for the lost as we seek to serve the Lord. You know, Jonah's story is proof that the work of God can be accomplished even when we're out of the will of God. But it's not the best-case scenario, ladies and gentlemen. How much greater would a Jonah's story been if he had not delayed in his prayer life? If he had not been displeased with God's plan, but embraced it? If he had not been a distant observer of what was going on in the city of Nineveh, but been there and helping those people come to a reconciliation with the God of heaven? Had he not discriminated against the people that God longed to spare? I think we need to apply this to our own lives. You know, we may not be a Jonah, we may not want people dead and wish the worst on them, but there's times that, no doubt in your life and mine, we delay in prayer and we know we should go to God about even maybe something small, something simple, and we neglect it or we wait. Sometimes we're displeased with God's plan, it's not going exactly the way we anticipated the way we thought it should, and it just kind of throws us off our game. Sometimes we're a distant observer. We want to be a help. We want to be sharing with people, but we stay back. We're standoffish. And then sometimes there's certain people we just don't like, and we really don't care what happens to them. You know what? That's not pleasing to the Lord. It's not pleasing to the Lord. He wants us. To be in a place with him, he was trying to bring that about in the life of Jonah. We don't know what happens at the end of the story. Maybe that happened. But in our lives, he's trying to bring us to that place where we do not delay, but we go forward with the Lord. Let's go ahead and have every head bowed and every eye closed tonight.